But when it comes to social media, it's unchecked, right? Everybody has a megaphone now. And so the negative people tend to be the loudest. They tend to be the ones that say the most and, and that we hear the most. And so that leads us to believe that that's kind of how everybody feels. But I mean, isn't social media has, has been a negative thing in that regard in, in terms of sports fandom, don't you think? A hundred percent. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Gold and Steel show where we discuss all things Vegas Golden Knights. We're actually going to do something a little different today. We are going to dive into the psychology of sports and sports fandom. Have you ever wondered why people love sports? A love of competitive sports is common throughout the world, and the pro sports industry constitutes a multi-billion dollar business worldwide. Why is that? We have no control over the result, and often sports fandom comes with its own fair share of suffering, yet we keep coming back for more. Today we're going to dive into the psychology of sports, why we love them, the implications, and specifically how the psychology of sports plays out for the Vegas Golden Knights fan base. I'm JP, your host. I'm here with my usual partner in crime, Ian. Um, Ian, it's interesting. You and I talked about this a little bit before we got going on this episode. You know, sports is kind of a form of simulated war, isn't it? It's like war, but without all the death and destruction and kind of fallout that usually comes with it. But sports is almost people channeling some of those warlike instincts, isn't it? And we're going to talk a little bit about the Golden Knights and how things have been going for them recently. But, uh, but I'm, I'm excited to dive into this. It's something a little different for us. And it's a fascinating topic. Um, we posted on X for our listeners and some of our friends on X to share their thoughts, what they love most about being a Golden Knights fan, what they hate most about being a Golden Knights fan, and if they have any interesting observations about human psychology uh, or human nature when it comes to sports fandom. And the response was was pretty big. So what we're going to do on this episode is cover each of those topics. We're going to read the responses, our, our listener submissions, and then discuss each topic. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about the Golden Knights and how things have been going for them recently. And we're going to very easily be able to segue into the psychology of it all. And let, let's kick off, Ian, you and I were talking about this. The goalies right now for the Golden Knights are just off the chain. The goaltending has been so impressive already this season. What, what's going on? I mean, the numbers are just sky high for all the goaltenders, right? Oh, insane. Insane. And, and look, firstly, hello to our listeners. Um, and, uh, and this is another episode where Ian is on travels. So I'm currently yeah. in the car. So I'm not you're, walking you're mid commute. So yeah, so there's no, there's no Christmas trees. There's no video, unfortunately. <laughs> well, fortunately, depends which way you look at it. Um, yeah. So, but I am, I am, I'm en route uh, to uh, to a place called Bath in uh, in the UK. But there you go. So, um, and you're right. So what you said about sport being uh, being like war. So I think it was Orwell that said that sport is war without the guns, and and mm -hmm. I think that's that's pretty apt. Um, and as somebody who's obviously sports uh, supports even numerous teams across various sports, uh, I have definitely had my fair share of, of misery when it comes to that. So <laughs> I know all <laughs> about misery. It's why sometimes when uh, when when there is things with the Vegas fan base and there is adversity or, or times of of I would say you know 
distress or anything. But when the when the Vegas had like the season when they didn't make the playoffs, for example, I had I struggled a little bit to, to feel sorry for too many of the fans <laughs> as I was sat there going, "Hang on a minute!" Like this, we, we, we've had decades of this, uh, and uh, and in some sports, I've, the the team that I followed has had virtually no success. Over right. the over my my lifetime, anyway, sure. uh, Miami Dolphins is one yeah. I can I can think of. Um, so, so anyway, <laughs> but you asked the question about goalies, which I'll flick back to that. It's so we've said it a few times, uh, and we call it, well, I don't know what we called it first because I have no idea what the other podcast is saying. But we called it one way or the other because I remember saying to you before the season started, in terms of what is the kind of USPs of the Vegas Golden Knights this season. The obvious one was Logan Thompson and Aiden Hill because you've got two world-class goalies and you're paying about five million in terms of cap for it. So it's it is proving to be what we thought it was going to be. I, I've got not got the stats obviously in front of me now because I couldn't read that while I was driving because that would be illegal. But the what I can remember <laughs> off the top of my head is that they're both in the top five, and I'm in a top five like in everything. So top five save percentage, top five goals against. Like all the the decent goalie stats, Logan Thompson and Aiden Hill are both sat there. And I think regardless of the fact there has been some blips in terms of form, and that's what they are. Uh, obviously, we can talk about that a little bit later and how a blip could become a kind of storm in a teacup very easily with social media. But there have been blips. The goalies have been consistent, which means that when you don't have a goal fest, um, like obviously you did have against Dallas, but when there isn't an absolute pounding, then the goalies are strong enough that you can kind of eke out wins. And and I think that's what I'm looking at with the goalies as well. And it's rare for, to kind of think this far ahead, but the Vegas Golden Knights are this good that we can start to do this. Is you start looking at the team and thinking, so how's this look in the playoffs? Like, how does this work when the Stanley Cup, when the real season starts, right? Let's be honest, when the actual <laughs> when the real games kick off after 82, you know, kind of practice games, like, what is this team going to look like? And I think, if Logan Thompson or Aiden Hill was to get injured, of which there is there is a possibility that could happen. It has happened for the Vegas Golden Knights many seasons. They've had one or, or both of the goalies go down at some point, you know, during the playoffs. But um, hence, you know, Brossois, for example, not starting the playoffs but not finishing them. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Hill and Thompson, you know, you've got an amazing goalie, whichever way you look at it. And we saw Boston rock this. Um, last season, obviously this season as well, um, and, and it paid dividends to them. So <clears throat> I think whilst you can run this, and you can run it cheap as hell. Oh yeah, you know what? It's such it is for Stone and all the other great players that Vegas have. Um, I think the number one reason why they are where they are is these they just have absolutely outstanding goaltending, and that may be coupled with a fantastic defense. Mm-hmm. We talked about how goalie friendly those guys are, but. Yeah. Let's not take anything away from the guys between the pipes because they are playing out of their skin right now. For an absolute bargain, no doubt, which has freed up other cap space to bring in higher caliber players, right? That's a whole lot of money. A lot of teams would have to dedicate to the net and, and it's, you know, it's able to be used other places. So long may yeah. it continue. The goaltending has been impressive most of last season. The playoffs, it was incredible. It's It's really, it's a clinic in how to build a team and, we're very fortunate in Vegas to have ownership and management that is this adept at putting a team together real quickly before we dive into the meat of the episode. This is just another quick news point. You know, we had discussed the possibility that the golden Knights might be in on Patrick Kane at some point. 
that obviously is off the table now. Talk to me about Patrick Kane and what's going on there. So he's joined the Detroit Red Wings. Um, uh, again, if you can check for me, JP, what the contract situation is, whether it was a one-year or multi-year, I have a feeling it wasn't a long-term deal, but um, if you can just double-check that for us while we're on, that'd be grand. Um, mm-hmm. But look, I think it's a great... I could talk about the move itself. I think the move is a good move for both both player and team. Um, it makes perfect sense. They have the cap to do it. They have Alex Dabrinkit there, one of the best seasons that Dabrinkit had. He was coupled with Patrick Kane. Um you know, they had a great chemistry together. So I, I think that makes perfect sense as well. Mm-hmm. It, I'm surprised there weren't more teams that pushed for it. And maybe there was. It's hard to see kind of what goes on behind the scenes. But and, and and no doubt he's not the cheapest player in the world, which means that, you know, it's, it's it would have been hard for some other teams. I mean, Edmonton, Dallas, these were teams that were kind of touted around as mm-hmm. being potential landing spots for him. Um but I think the guy can still do it. I think he needs some time to get his feet kind of under the desk because he's had a bit of time off. But he's got the rest of the season to do that. But if Detroit do make the playoffs this season, and the East is tough, it's a, it's a really, really, really tough conference sure to be is. in. Yeah. Um, so you need every little you know piece of help you can get. And, and why not have a three-time Stanley Cup champion in, in Patrick Kane? I mean, he's the, one of the mm-hmm. best American hockey players of all time, if not the best. So... He is, it's, I think it's a great acquisition. Uh, what's the contract situation, JP? Uh, it says on NHL.com, he signed a one-year $2.75 million contract with the Red Wings. So that's certainly wow. not, nothing permanent at the age of 35. I guess I'm not surprised by that. I would have expected maybe more than one year for a player like Kane, but uh, those kind of contracts can say a lot, right? It can say like, okay, let's give it a try and see how it goes. It can say... Hey, players do get to a point where that's all they're going to get. They're going to get year by year. But I don't know if I thought Kane was there just yet. But uh, the Red Wings well, are doing just, reasonably well so far this season, is too. So it's they uh, are, they are. Yeah, yeah, it seems to be gelling. Exactly, and uh, Debrinkit was already having a great season before, mm-hmm. um, you know, before Patrick Kane arrived. But uh, I, I, it surprised me a little bit that contract. It's neither one thing or the other. I thought if it was going to be a one-year deal, that would be more expensive. Yeah, me too. Um, but then, you know, from Patrick Kane's perspective is, you know, what's, what does he really want? Does he want the chance to, to win something? I mean, like there could have been other teams that came in for him, like Buffalo and, and others. But maybe he was with his agent, was like, look, this isn't a payday. This is, I want to win a cup. Yeah. And maybe he only wanted to be on people that he thought were, were contenders. Right. Um, there's always a family situation as well, which, you know, you, you've always got to, kind of take into account in terms of yeah. players not wanting to... I mean, like, there could have been some Canadian teams in for him, but maybe Patrick Kane was like, you know, look, I don't want to... I don't want to be in Winnipeg. You know, I don't want to be in Edmonton. I don't want to be in, in Calgary. So... Sure. Um, so you By the way, know, also, also I should mention, it says here that it's prorated. So it's for the rest of this season, uh, if that wasn't yes. clear. It's not talking about next year. So I guess it's also possible Kane wanted to try it out, right? Maybe he said, like, I'm, I want to go someplace where I can commit for a season and see if I like it. And uh, and then maybe we can talk from that. Who knows? You never know what goes on in these situations. But um, so yeah. Kane, is, Kane is off the table at least for the present um and yes. we'll see it's uh i mean honestly right now the knights roster is, is pretty stacked and and that brings us to let's let's start diving into the psychology stuff a little bit and then we'll read our listener submissions after that which will 
constitute the bulk of, of the episode, but it's interesting. You and I were discussing this a little bit. It's a long season, 82 game season. And we're talking yep. about the psychology of sports and not just from the players, but in terms of the fans and their reactions, it's interesting with Vegas. There are times, and I said this to you before that I wonder a little bit if Vegas is almost kind of toying with its opponents a little bit. That may be an oversimplification, but it's an 82-game season. It's a lot of hockey. And you're just not going to put out 110% every night. And frankly, you don't need to. You don't need to win the President's Trophy. You don't need to get a 20-point lead on the rest of the league. Why would you? Why would you wear yourself out? So I wonder sometimes if the Knights are just that good. For, for instance... Let's just talk about the last three games. You know, they lost to the Blues in a tight OT loss at home. Then they went out to St. Louis, and they went down quickly in the first period, I think down by two goals. And you could tell they just decided, yeah, you know what? Don't want to lose this one. And then they turned it on, and they absolutely manhandled the Blues in their own barns. So it's interesting. They just seem to be able to turn it on when they want to. <laughs> and And the fans, it's like, this is common in a lot of sports. You're talking about sports psychology, but a team posts a couple of losses and the sky is falling, right? And all the fans are ready to, uh, you know, sell the farm and sell the whole team, tear it all down. And what a disgrace. And the reality is these guys know that they only need, like you said, they need to get in. Seating is important, but I feel yes. fairly confident the Knights barring the train completely going off the tracks are probably going to win the division. And every time I've gotten worried that things were starting to go South, they've completely proved me wrong. It's like, Nope, still leading the NHL, still leading the conference, still leading the division. I mean, there's some leapfrogging going on in terms of the NHL, right? There's some really good teams in the East, but by and large, yep. the Knights are still way up there. They're doing just fine. Do you think there's a little bit of that that goes on for teams where they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll be all right. Like, we're going to come out and play, but there's a difference between playing a game and, and putting out some effort and really digging deep and giving 110%. And I just don't think it's possible to do that night after night after night. Or if you do, it comes with a price. So isn't there some price, yeah. game management and some points management and some health management that goes on in a long season, right? You, fans, they talk like they want the team to win every night. They should be giving 110% every night, and how dare they not do that? I just don't think it works that way. And I think when you're a juggernaut like the Knights, I think there are some nights when you're like, yeah, just not feeling it tonight. Like, we'll, we'll put in a good game, but we're on top. We're doing okay. I mean, what do you think about that? There's got to be some of that that goes on. They're never going to tell the fans that, right? No, 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 no. I know the, the two, two things I'm going to say straight off the bat, which is probably going to annoy uh, everybody who's listening. Um, so it's been, it's been nice listening. It's been nice talking to you all, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> just to kick off. So first things first is no one cares about the president's trophy. Okay. The, the, the last team to win the president's trophy and win the Stanley cup. I don't even know who the hell they were because it was years ago. Like, infamously the team that has won the president's trophy has not won the Stanley cup it is almost a curse to win it right um mm -hmm. because it's been so poor and that, somebody on, on twitter will no doubt correct me in 1955 when blah 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 but the um certainly in a salary cap era i don't know if a team has done it i know the washington capitals won the president's trophy a couple of years and it did them no favors um same with others so i think yeah that no one cares about the President's Trophy. Like, nobody finishes the season 
gets knocked out in the first round of Stanley Cup, wins the President's Trophy and sits down in the locker room and goes, guys, that was a good season. Like Nobody says that. It's a bit of a weird <laughs> trophy to have because yeah. like, it's, it's the trophy that they kind of feel like they need to have because there needs to be some recognition of winning the league, so to speak, because it is the National Hockey League. Mm-hmm. But the reality is it, it's a ticket to entry like every other position in the uh, playoffs is. Um, says that right and the second thing which is gonna which is gonna be the the you know the is it red pill or blue pill what's the real pill in matrix can never remember whatever the real pill is right is that the players <laughs> do not give 110 percent every night they don't they just don't like and it, we can say that they should but they don't and the reason they don't is because this is the battle of attrition this is a marathon not sprint this is 82 games this season is ridiculous Right, it is absolutely ridiculous. The reason why the Stanley Cup is one of the hardest trophies to win in all sports is because it's a very physical game. It's a very long trophy as well. I mean, like they're best of seven. Every round is best of seven, right? It's mental. So then to, to do 82 games in the regular season is also insane. Absolutely insane. You can compare it to basketball. Mm-hmm. And it, the hockey is a lot more physical than basketball is. It's not. You can't compare the two sports on that side there's injuries all this and I know injuries happen in basketball but all those sorts of things means that the reality is do the guys want to win every night of course they do are they going to give 110% every night no they're not and we all know that because we all have this in our own personal lives there are days where you wake up and you just don't you're just not on it yeah you're not you're just feeling not on it. it yeah and like and especially if you've worked your butt off for a week and you've worked long shifts and you've you know, you've been filling in, you're a guy down your team or whatever the situation might be, and you've been busting your balls for a week. The week afterwards, you're probably not on your A game. You're probably mm-hmm. a little off your A game. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and and that's the same in sports. These guys are human, right? They're going to have days where they feel off and, and weeks when they feel off and times where their form's off. And I think the thing with 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 form you know, the whole thing of form is temporary, class is permanent, right? That is 100% true over an 82-game season. And we've seen that already in the Golden Knights season. And then we were barely a quarter of the way through. We've seen these kind of blips that look like they're big dramas and then in reality that they, they don't really matter. But it's what Cassidy will be looking out for. It's not that they win every game. What Cassidy will be looking out for is it, worrying things that become trends. So when stuff starts to happen, game after game after game, that's when he starts to con- be concerned. If mm-hmm. there's breakdowns in either formations or tactics or just general strategy, which is which is starting to become a trend, that's when Cassidy will be clicking the panic button. The fan base, though, they tend to click the panic button quite a bit, quite a bit sooner than that. So, Which I totally <laughs> well, understand, by the way, because I'm, I'm I am a fan. You know, I, I, I have watched many a game where I've lost my rag when we lose it. But... Mm. You know, yeah, if you're putting your sensible logic hat on for a minute, in yeah. 82 games, if you lose a five-game losing streak, who cares? You know, yeah. like it just—it's in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. And and in terms of the psychology of being a sports fan, a lot of that is reactionary, right? Like sports is a source right. of joy, of community, of happiness for people. And so when you let's say so you got your you got your meal right, you got your your sandwich or your fast food or your pizza or whatever your your you know, you're comfortable, you're settled in for the night and you got the game on TV and you want to have a good time. You're excited. You want to watch your team do well. And I think there's a, in terms of the psychological implications, I think there's a, 
a little bit with fandom, with sports fandom, there's like a disappointment, almost like a, I wanted to be happy about a win tonight. And how dare you not make me happy (laughs) with a win tonight? Like I had a rough day and all I wanted was to see the Golden Knights win. And there is that level of investment that happens. And depending on your situation in life and your ability to self-soothe and a million other factors, sometimes the tendency is to, to react really negatively when you're, when your team loses, right? It, and, and actually studies have shown that uh, sports fandom tends to be a negative in people's lives in terms of the amount of joy it brings them. If their team isn't winning a lot, that that's the truth. That seems obvious, but it's like that that's true. If you don't, if you're not following a winning team, being a sports fan is not a, a, is not a positive contribution in your life. Generally it's, it's more of a negative and that's what we all sign up for. Like it's, so it's, it's important to try to, to try to keep those things uh, balanced and not take it too seriously, but easier said than done, right? Because you don't get the joy that comes with the big victories in the championships unless you're emotionally invested. So it's such an interesting paradox uh, following sports. And like I said, none of us have any control over the result. So on paper, it seems kind of silly, but uh, but we we all love it, right? And so it's interesting. Speaking of that, let, let's get into the meat of the episode. So what we did is on X, we... We asked our listeners and our friends on X and fellow Golden Knights fans and sports fans to share with us what they love most about being a Golden Knights fan, what they hate most about being a Golden Knights fan, and then any interesting observations that they have about human psychology or human nature when it comes to sports fandom. And we're just going to cover each of those individually. So I will read Everybody who submitted something, I will read it in its entirety. However, we did split them up uh, in their in their own individual topics. So, for instance, in this first section, which is what do you love most about being a Golden Knights fan, I will only read the 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 love part of your response for all of our listeners, and and so on and so on for each section. So, all right, so let's get into this. It's going to take us a couple of minutes to read through them all, but then after we're going to recap, talk about some trends, and then dig deep a little bit into the psychology of of sports and kind of what's reflected in these responses. So, starting out, uh, this is a guy I've actually met him uh, a couple times at Golden Knights games. And I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right, but it's Steve McNelly or Steve McSevenelli. He's got a seven in the name. So it's at Steve M Comedy. He's actually a stand-up comedian here in Vegas. He said what he likes most is the friendships we've made since day effing one. So obviously that's talking about sense of community. Um, All Good, which is at All Good LV, uh, loves the atmosphere at T-Mobile and the way the team has been embraced by the city. Uh, fun, which is at fun. Kelly loves the community, how much we love the team, how much the team loves us. There's nothing like it. It also helps that they're amazing at hockey. I couldn't agree more. That definitely helps, uh, at fun. Kelly and then loves Faulkner, which is at Celis David. I love being a VGK fan because of the diversity in the fandom. Vegas made hockey available to everyone. And then from Offseason Champ, who's one of my, definitely one of my Twitter buddies who I chat with quite a bit, he's at Raider Nation 702. Love that they're our team. And in parentheses, he said Las Vegas. So that, that they're Las Vegas' team. I love the irrational hatred from other fan bases. <laughs> and I love the, in parentheses, almost ruthless commitment to building a winning culture. 
And that's very true. The Knights have been called ruthless on more than one occasion. It certainly paid off, but, uh, and then it's Rick so Hagar, yeah. which is at, yeah, definitely. Uh, Rick Hagar, which is at the Mr. Hagar says, I was not a follower of hockey until the golden Knights in year one. Now I don't miss a game. It takes a lot of desire, resiliency, and competitive nature to be a great hockey player. So there's somebody who discovered the sport, really, when the Knights came to town. Uh, Ella, which is at EllaXOXO101, she says, I love being a part of this awesome family who cares for one another. That's very sweet. Um, Kim, at Kimbercaper, loves the friendships and the sense of community the team brought to Vegas and that excitement you feel on game days. I could not agree more. Uh, yep. Sniggs, which is at LVmom325. She loves, uh, loves most being part of a community of fans, both in person and online. I feel like I finally belong to a group. That's very poignant, isn't it? This is somebody who perhaps felt like they didn't belong before, and, and now they do. That's definitely that sense of... Uh, of community, community we talked about. Yeah, yeah uh, it's big. Absolutely. Um, 2023 Stanley Cup champs, which is at T-H-U-Z-H-A-N-29, says, I am grateful for all the incredible Knights fans and for a great management who is always doing their part to win. Uh, David Heinrich, which is at Way E. Cool Jr. I love what this team has done for our city and community. I love that they were Vegas-born. Aiden Hill is the greatest goalie of all time, which is at Jeff L-A-N-E. Oh, Jeff Lane Jr. <laughs> I love the organization's okay. <laughs> commitment to winning. At the end of the day, nothing else matters. Nothing to hate about that. And then Cass, at Cassie Loves 1013. For me, it was a comfort that I could turn to during the bubble as a way to get over the grief of losing my mom March 2020. Yeah, that's... That, nice. that that resonates with me as well. I've definitely, uh, sports has been an uplifting thing for me during hard times in my life. Um, Jill, which is at SillyJilly1007. I love that I can still live far away, Chicago, and cheer for the team. And I even though it. I'm not in Vegas, I can cheer on the team. I wish I could see the Knights more in person. So there you go. There's a sense of community even in other cities. Almost there, guys. Just a few more to read here. Uh, Nicholas Haley at Nicola 358-56104, says, love most that it's Las Vegas' team. And then Summerlin Platinum Knights, I love that username, <laughs> at HobbyXXExchange, I've actually met this gentleman as well, he's a cool guy, uh, says, I grew up in a sports town. Sunday often meant leaving the football game, losing a couple layers on the way to the hockey game. What I like best are the like-minded peeps enjoying their team. Definitely. And um, Prescott, which is at Prescott 6787. I love my Vegas Vivas so much. That's why I'm a VGK fan. And for anybody who doesn't know, the Vegas Vivas are the cheerleaders for the team who are a big part of the uh, in-arena presentation. Dodgers number three fan, which is at Maddie J. Bebe, uh, says, I love the trades. I hate when there's no trades. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean enough. hey he knows he know he knows what he likes right he does yeah um, the offseason must be a killer for him yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. That's tough, right? Um, NS Braun Knights at Vegas Waterboy 53 says, things I love, cheering for a villain of the league. Ooh, yes, we can relate to that. <laughs> and knowing yeah. the team puts a focus on having good people on the team. So we're hearing some themes here for yeah. sure. Yeah. David Rosenthal at DROZ1984 says, I love the honesty of the team. They win, and there's always someone saying, yeah, we won, but we still made mistakes and we need to improve. The commitment not just to winning, but to perfecting their game is second to absolutely none. I couldn't agree more with that. It's That was on display, particularly at the beginning of this season, uh, when the Knights were winning a lot, but they weren't happy with their game, and they were all pretty transparent about that. Uh, Mr. MC at MMACNV says, absolute pleasure to be a fan of such a great organization top to bottom. Thank you, Bill Foley, one of the very best owners in all of sports. Uh, yeah, very poignant. I couldn't agree more. That that guy is uh, constantly impressing me more and more every year. I just can't believe the stuff this guy commits to, and he manages to pull it off, right? Business mm -hmm. time. At business time 89, winning is my favorite, not winning is my least favorite. Very simply put, and, and yeah, that pretty much sums it up, doesn't it, <laughs> when it comes to sports <laughs> fandom. Uh, the victories are sweet and the defeats are, are brutal. Uh, Bob Kroll at RKR444 uh, says, I love how the VGK caused other teams to step up their in-game entertainment. Interesting. Yeah, very Of true. course, they criticized our presentation as tacky, but I see them now doing many of the same hype videos and big energy music that VGK does. I'm thankful we don't have any organ music at the fortress. <laughs> uh, Bob, I completely agree with you. I hate organ music. It's uh, I know uh, it's a traditional part of the game, but uh, yeah. I'm glad we don't have it too. Um, almost there. VGK non-GM, that VGK dog says, I love how passionate everyone is. I love the friendships I've made. And then the last one, and this one's pretty poignant. I was actually kind of surprised to get this message from someone named... Angela, I, want to, I can't tell if I'm pronouncing this right or not, but I think it's Angela McKildoon or Mickledoon maybe, uh, at Mickledoon 2. She says, we love the team, in parentheses, even though we're Canadian, because of their incredible support and commitment to the families of the 58 who died in the Las Vegas shooting. Our son's name is on the banner that hangs in the rink. They include us always. We're deeply loyal to them. That mm. one hits pretty hard. Uh, yes, thank good. you, thank you, Angela, for sharing that. And obviously, words—I I really don't have the words to, to express uh, how sorry I am to hear that that your son was part of that tragedy. Um, but I, I think it's wonderful that that you found support and a sense of community with the team. And like I said, there just aren't, aren't words to properly express. Uh, you know, how I feel or, or a way to make you feel better about that. But I, I do appreciate you uh, taking some time to share that with us. So, yeah, definitely. so, so Ian, and that, that's all the submissions for what people love most about being a Golden Knights fan. I mean, in terms of supporting a local team, the word tribalism kind of comes to mind. I know that can have <laughs> some negative, negative connotations, but mostly meaning kind of associating with a group over a common shared belief or values or over geography, right? Like it's human nature to want to be part of the group, isn't it? It is. And, and, and here's the thing, right? So, and, and firstly, thanks to everybody who submitted those. Uh, and I'm going to go through the, 
the hate uh, afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was there was some really really good good messages in there, and, and some really personal ones as well, which I think is fantastic. Um, but the theme that was carried through all of them, and I think it was it was probably best put uh, the one at the end there. Obviously, whilst it's, it's a sad um mm-hmm. a reason but the, the the community piece is is the key bit right uh, and, yeah. and whether people are using that for support whether they're using it as friendship or or whatever i think is really really key and that's why i agree with what you said before in terms of over the course of my life um and uh hopefully not <laughs> too far through it but at, at 38 I've, I've i've watched my fair few games and had a fair few seasons of sport across numerous sports um and fandom but the um yeah, and they've not all been successful years. There's been some, but they've been peppered <laughs> infrequently throughout my life, which means that over the course of you know an average person's life, there probably is more misery to do with sports than there is in terms of elation. But I think the elation you get, because you're not on your own when you have it, makes that even more sweeter, and it's worth it. So I would disagree with someone that says that over the course of your life it's a negative thing, because I think the positives out the way, then, and the negatives are tend to be short-lived. They're not like mm-hmm. when something bad happens in your life and that can affect you years down the line. You know, like I, I wouldn't step into Wembley in the UK and, and get a shudder because the last time we were there, Coventry City lost. You know, like it, it doesn't hang with you like a, like a personal trauma does. But it, the, the elation, true. though, you can remember that for decades. You know, you can look mm-hmm. back on pictures. I think about my... My dad and, 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 you know, in 19, uh, I'm going to get a year wrong now, but I'm going to say 1989 when Coventry City won the, um, what was it, 88? Damn it, should know this. But when Coventry City won the FA Cup, I was very little, just to give myself the caveat of why I can't remember the exact year. I think it was 1989. <laughs> um, and when they won the, the FA Cup, which is the, the kind of main football trophy uh, in, in the UK, other than the Premier League, of course. Uh, and, um, and like, there's pictures and videos and well, you know, they still, I've seen him watch the game again. Like he knows the result. It's completely idiotic as to why you would watch it again, but it's to, to get back that feeling, right? Yeah. Uh, to relive and, it. And yeah. To relive it. Yeah. And I think that sport is that sport is so emotional. Um, it's, it's just crazy now, but when it comes to communities, I think the communities could fit into two categories. They could fit into the good, they could fit into the bad. An example I'm going to use here. So, look, I love the community spirit. It's the, one of the only reasons that I'm still on Twitter because I don't really like social media, as people that um, know me well will know. And you'll get that at the end of this episode, by the way. But I really don't like social media, and I think that it causes more harm than it does good. But it doesn't mean that everything about it is is, is evil and dreadful. It certainly isn't. And one of the best things about it is that community that it creates. You know, regardless of whether that's sport or other kind of communities that exist. Um, it, it is that community creates. I mean, look at what we're doing right now, JP. You know, you're in Vegas, uh, some god ungodly hour in the morning, and and I'm in the UK. Yet we're able to have this conversation. But not that just me and you have this conversation. We can have this conversation with all of our listeners who are located in various different cities. Some are in Vegas, but some, as we heard from that list, are not. Some are in beautiful cities like Chicago. Um, <laughs> but it's all it creates that community which you wouldn't be able to have if it wasn't for social media so i completely agree with the people that have said that community is one of the things that they love i love it too i think it's fantastic i think what's funny though about communities and you mentioned tribalistic nature is it doesn't take much for a community to become a tribe but tribes have this weird 
thing of it, it's always about who are they against rather than who are they with. So in the UK, for example, uh, and tribalistic nature within the UK sports is far stronger, I would say personally, than the US. People can disagree, that's fine. But I think the nature of football supporters means that it tends to be, like you will have two teams in the exact same city. And when we say they hate each other, I mean, they hate each other, right? There is like, you know, a level of hate. And then in some football teams, religion gets thrown in and that's a whole new powder keg right there, okay? But only until the enemy is that one step further. So if you take something like uh, Manchester, where you have Man City and Man United, they hate each other. But when England are playing Germany, Man City and Man United fans will quite happily link arms, sing together, drink beer together, because there's a new enemy. The new enemy is now a different nation, and therefore the tribe has grown and gone from Man City and Man United to be in England, and then so on and forth, so forth. So I, I do find it quite funny that we can have this kind of tribalistic nature, but it tends to be tribalistic in terms of who are we against rather than who are we for, because when that... that I, and I use the term enemy very loosely, by the way. But when we an enemy changes, that tribe can kind of grow. I mean, you see that in the US as well. Like, see fans that hate each other in a sport. But if the US is playing, then now we're yeah. we're all United States, right, or Canada, or whatever right. it might be. Now you know. Now we're all Canadians. Whereas the, yeah. in, the, in the NHL, uh, I'm from Calgary. I'm from Edmonton. Like whatever it might be. So. It's it, right. it is a it's a it's a funny it's a funny mix and obviously social media like it does a lot of things. We're going to talk about this when we talk about hate, but it exaggerates a lot of things. So it can, it, you can very easily think that everything is 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 one way or another because of a couple of comments. But staying positive, and the community thing is massive. And I, I personally think Vegas, and this is not just pandering to the listener base, by the way, but I, I've dealt with enough communities now over the time. I think the Vegas fan base is very strong. Now, maybe that's just strong on social media, but it's, I think it's very strong. I'm not going to say it's the best because I don't know all 32. But from the ones that I've seen, if you compare it to others, I think it's very strong. It's very diverse as well in terms of thought, not just people and you know themselves being diverse. But I mean, it's in their diversification of thought, which I think is, you know, is really, really important. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's yeah, definitely a positive. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, too, because uh, this is another thread that you kind of see a consistent idea that we see through a lot of the listener submissions is the idea that it kind of gave Vegas an identity in a way, or, or it added to Vegas's identity. One of the things historically that has gone on in Vegas is uh, Vegas is so transient and it's been historically very much a tourist city. And so for a long time, people who lived in Las Vegas, we didn't really have our own identity here. Everything was for the tourists. We didn't have something yeah. that set us apart that was for us locally. That that developed slowly over time. So it's not black and white, but even in the time that I've lived in Vegas, I've seen it change a lot. And and so people really responded to this team because it was just for us, right? That's why Vegas Born is such a big that's like the slogan for the team and for the fan base because the team was born here. It didn't come from anywhere else. It was born here. It was built here specifically for Vegas, for us. And the, and the city hasn't really had anything like that before, not, not in this way. And so uh, I think that has added a very unique element to this team and its fan base and, and the way the, the city embraced the team and vice versa. And of course the events of October one and, and all of those tragic things that happened surrounding that 
have had an influence on that as well. That that sort of accelerated the city's bond with the team. But I know everybody, yes. even people who weren't hockey fans, were very excited to finally have our own major league sports franchise. So that's been a, a unique element of the psychology and the way that people view this team here. Another uh, common theme that we heard a lot here is 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 praise of the ownership and the management of this organization, which is interesting because they underwent a ton of criticism until they won the cup, right? Now everybody's kind of singing the praises. I don't hear anywhere near as much criticism as I used to. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, funny though. Uh, and it's and you and I you and I've said this on prior episodes, you know, when you win the cup, everybody kind of has to shut up. When you win the cup, that that sort of uh, winning uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Winning cures for? all, mate. That's it, the phrase. Of, winning yeah, cures all. It cures all. That's what I was looking for. Winning cures all, and in this case, it really has, but you know, what mm-hmm. makes what makes this ownership group so special? It's not even really a group. It's mostly Bill Foley. The, the Maloof brothers at one time owned a small uh, stake in the team. They may still, but Bill Foley is obviously vast majority owner, so it's primarily his team. But he's a special sports owner, and, and this is a guy who didn't own any sports franchises before the Golden Knights. That was his first. Now, of course, he's gone crazy now. He owns Bournemouth, and he just bought an expansion team in the in the New Zealand uh, Premiership, I think, or the New Zealand A-League, or maybe it's Australia's A-League, but New Zealand participates. I can't remember. But, yeah, he's buying sports teams all over the place. He owns an interest in a team in France as well now. So, obviously, he's taken to it very well. And this is a guy who obviously is great at assembling teams, assembling management, uh, stepping back enough to let those people do their jobs. I mean, it has been a clinic in how to build a sports organization, right? What 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 is it that you observe, Ian? That's so special about Bill Foley as an owner and about the management of the Vegas Gold Knights organization? Um. <clears throat> so yeah, look, I think the management has been. It's all about people, right? I think what Bill Foley is very good at. Some chairman in in sports. And, I, and this isn't this isn't it is a criticism, but I, I can understand why, because they tend to be fans. They tend to want to be not just the owner; they want to run it, because it's kind of like their baby. And we've seen that in some some successful chairman as well, but tends to be unsuccessful, um, where they they get too involved. I think Bill Foley is very good at hiring people who he trusts, who he knows can get on with the job. And then he lets them get on with their job. Uh, I was watching a documentary uh, last night, actually, um, uh, at all around uh, Newcastle United, which is uh, obviously another team in, in the Premier League. Yeah, I've and seen the chairman that. Yeah. said a really, really good thing. And I, I thought, you know what? This is this is possibly one of the things that will never go down in the book of quotes. But it was, I thought it was great. And he said that if if he has to get involved in the day to day job, then he might as well fire his entire management team because that's what he has them for. And I thought that's exactly right. And I've seen other instances, and you can look at Chelsea as being one of them, where there's just too much engagement from ownership. And, and also, to be honest, in, in a hockey sense, you see that a lot with some of the Canadian teams. There is, because they have a lot of ex-players, like on the ownership and stuff, or certainly as part of the, the kind of the management, if not the ownership, then they, there tends to be a little too much noise and involvement. Um, whereas I think Foley tends to like, he set out his game plan, right? He told the ownership what he wanted, my ownership, sorry, told the management what he wanted, right? Was it playoffs in 
something, Cup in six, whatever it was. Playoffs in three, Cup in six, was it originally? Yeah, um, playoffs in three, Cup in six, uh-huh. So, which is I mean, ambitious, but it was, that was his goal, right? And then, <laughs> he did it. So, like, and he did play. it. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, like, what the hell do I know? But it's, um, <laughs> I would have been definitely one of the management group when he came out and said that. I'd be like, yeah, I'm well behind that. But Jesus Christ, that's ambitious. <laughs> but it's, um, but, oh, he did it. Uh, but I think he, he's hired some damn good management. The other thing that they've done is they have been ruthless. And it's, and you have to be. If you're going to change things, and, and this, and I, I know this from, personal experience in terms of what i do for a job but sometimes when you say you're going to change something or you're going to go down a certain route not everybody's going to agree with you and you have to have the gumption to to stand by your own convictions and say yep i hear you but i'm doing it anyway because i think this is the right thing to do and i think things like the flurry trade and, and other instances that have happened that fans have not not gone down that hasn't gone down well with them they've not agreed with it I mean, Kenny, Kenny McCrimmon's not been on everybody's Christmas card list. I'm sure he is now, but he wasn't. It wasn't originally. Um, you know, Dodger McPhee, I suppose, is slightly different because he tended to have a bit more of a love about him because he was the guy that put it all together. But still, he made decisions that people didn't like. Uh, but winning conquers, uh, cures all. And the reason it cures all is because people go, OK, I get it now. And that's right. And I think Foley's done a very good job of being ruthless. It's not being ruthless yeah. to be horrible. It's being ruthless because they understand in this business, it's a, it's a results business, which means that you have yeah. to, and that's the same for any of the sports that he buys. I've got no idea on your A-League comment, by the way. No idea. Yeah. But, the, uh, <laughs> but you know, whether it's football or it's hockey, whether it's basketball, it doesn't matter. Like, it's a results business, and that means you have to make tough decisions. Um, and I think he's done a very good job of that. So I think yeah. Vegas are very lucky to have him uh, and the management, mm-hmm. to be honest. But, um, yeah. so, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I will say I worry a little bit. We're not there yet, obviously, and long may he live, of course, but I, you know, he's, he's getting up there in years. So you, you worry a little bit about in terms of the future, like eh, when he's no longer well enough to run the team or, or heaven forbid, when he, when he finally passes away, I kind of wonder, I don't hear people talking about that a lot. I guess we're all just enjoying the present success, but you kind of wonder what the plan is for the team at that point. Will family take over and carry on the legacy? I'm kind of curious about that. And But listen, that's that's part of life, right? And that's part of every sports organization has to face that. In fact, um, was it last season or earlier this season, uh, there was an owner that passed away. I, I, I feel bad that I don't remember which organization it was, but this is life, right? It happens. Uh, so, but I do worry. Um, so uh, you're, you're thinking of, I think, I think anyway, you're thinking of Rocky Wirtz uh, with Chicago. Yeah. Uh, he yeah, away. yeah. His son had yeah. already taken over the reins. Okay. Uh, right. He so passed it on before that. Yeah. He had already passed it, passed it on. But right. still, I think the, when there's owners that have strong personalities like Foley, they have, obviously have charisma and all those kinds of things about them, but they, they have that plan, that kind of overall strategy and vision, mm-hmm. which is what you yeah. want from a chairman. Obviously, you want them to back you financially and you know pay the bills right. and all that kind of stuff at the beginning. I obviously want that, but they they, they bring the vision. Um, when there is a change of ownership, whether that's through a buyout or that's through something as unfortunate as somebody passing away, sometimes you can see a shift. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can see a shift. Sometimes that can be a good thing. Sometimes that can be yeah. a bad thing. I think with Chicago, we're, we're kind of yet to see what that yeah. you know because it's still it's still the works family but it's a it it, it, it may take on a different guys um mm-hmm. a lot of people feel like 
his son will be more modern and therefore will take a different approach to what his dad may have done. But you know, and could that happen with Foley in the future? Maybe, but yeah, a long way but away, I'm sure. Yeah, and you hope that the culture that he has established and the culture that's been put in place is strong enough that States, that that yeah. carry on carries on right beyond uh, beyond Bill Foley's time uh, owning yeah. the team. So anyway, like you said, that's down the track a bit, but uh, but those are things that that I do think about sometimes. Um, and then the last thread that we kind of saw a common thread in terms of what people love the most about the team, we heard several people mention the in-game presentation and. You know, in the interest of not getting, not taking up too much time because we still have more to cover. But, but I, I don't think there's any doubt that that the Golden Knights have influenced the league and the way things are done. And they they came in and they shook things up a little bit. Sure, have they yep. been criticized for it being a little bit hokey? But honestly, I remember so, uh, yeah. in year one, I had some friends in from out of town and they're Australian and a whole bunch of us went to see a very well-known game in golden Knights lore. And it was Vegas golden Knights versus Tampa Bay lightning year one. And it was the game that they beat them right on the buzzer. Shea Theodore scored the winning goal with two seconds left in the game. And um, that was the game where everybody, the, the lightning were huge that year. They were definitely arguably the strongest team in the league. And when the Golden Knights beat them, it, you know, it said, oh, wow, these guys are for real. But anyway, point being, yes. these people from a different country who knew nothing about Golden Knights, they came and, <clears throat> excuse me, they came to this game and they recognized that the, that the opening presentation was a little campy, but they still loved it. I was like, I know it's a little bit campy, but I think it's cool. They're like, no, it totally works. It is a little bit campy, but it completely works. And and being there in the arena, they understood it. They got it, right? And and yes, is it over the top? But that's Vegas. And when you're there sitting in the arena watching it, it's kind of incredible. It doesn't quite translate on television. And it's easy to watch it on TV and say, oh, that's hokey. Are you kidding me? But Unless you've sat in those stands and watched it, it, it really is something. And and the camp kind of works a little bit. And and they've I will say they've maybe dialed that down in spots uh, over the years. But um, mm. but anyway, it's bold, it's brave, and it's uniquely Las Vegas. And I don't think there's any doubt that they've sort of upped the standard in the NHL and definitely influenced other teams around the league. Right, a lot of other. Um, organizations are trying to up their game now because this is what fans want this when they come to games, right? Yeah, totally. And, uh, and again, something I can speak to very close to what I, what I do and, and the kind of sector that I'm in, but it's this old guard mentality of, well, we've always done it this way. And these guys come in and do it a bit different. Nobody likes it. Everybody's like, well, no one's going to buy into that. But second Vegas did it. Like I knew it, it would, it would work because I think what, what kind of the old school hockey fans have had kind of, and I'm going to lump all old school hockey fans together here, so I don't care, I'm going to stereotype why not, is, um, is, is this whole mentality. People aren't here for that. They're here to watch the hockey. And you're like, yeah, yeah, they are. <laughs> Everyone, let's go. Everyone's here for the hockey. Nobody's watching the in-game presentation at the beginning and going, right, I'm done. See you the next game. Right, I'm walking out afterwards. <laughs> right. Right, no one's doing that. Yeah. So, yeah, of right. course people are here to watch the hockey. But I think, the bit that the guys have forgot, well, have kind of missed on here, is that it is entertainment. Sport is entertainment. As much as it is emotion and community and all the other things we talked about, it is entertainment as well. 
And I think having that in-game presentation beforehand is, is perfect. It's brilliant. It gets people engaged and you know, it makes it mm-hmm. a spectacle. And the whole thing about the knight fighting off against people, it was brilliant. And, it, you know, was it a little yeah. bit campy, as you called the other bathroom? They're like, yeah, a little bit, but, like, it's Vegas, for God's sake. So, of course, it was going to be. And, right. And the, the the biggest sign to me is is when other teams start picking up on it and start doing it and the rest of it, mm-hmm. you start to go, yeah. yeah. So, you might not openly come out now and tell us all that you were wrong to criticize Vegas for this, but you're telling us that you admit you were wrong because you're now doing it. And, um, and we right. see it in other sports, by the way. I mean, the Premier League has this big you know, thing before the teams come out. Some teams at night, they'll have light shows before the players come out. And, you know, and, and obviously you know, certain music becomes synonymous then with the team. If you think about Chelsea Dagger in Chicago and there's others as well. But mm-hmm. like, and, um, you know, that I think that presentation piece for me is now, is now huge. And you saw Seattle did the same. You know, in terms of having it, I, I, if honestly, I don't think they played on it enough. I think they could have, they could have gone further, sure. given that, that yeah. there should be some sort of ginormous Kraken in their uh, in oh, their yeah. arena somewhere. But um, the mm-hmm. uh, so I think it becomes part of the team's identity. So why why wouldn't you want that? And and I would be mm-hmm. if you were to kind of litmus test the, the the Vegas fan base, I would be amazed if it's not ninety percent that love that stuff. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. No, they they they, they do. The, the, generally, people love the in-game presentation. Of course, everybody's always going to have a critique here and there, <clears throat> but but by yeah, and course. large, yeah, that the in-game presentation has has definitely been a win. I would say so. Um, so that's great. And and um, obviously, in the interest of time, we'd like to keep moving on here with with the next section, which is what people hate the most <laughs> about being a Golden Knights fan. And um, there's not quite as many of these, but uh, but let's read through them. It'll take us a couple of minutes, and then some interesting trends here that we'll dig into in terms of the psychology of sports fandom and <clears throat> maybe some of the negatives that come along with that. So mm-hmm. once again, Steve McSavinelli or Steve McNelly, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, which is at Steve M Comedy. What he hates the most is the cost of concessions. <laughs> they are very expensive at Vegas games. I'll give you that. Um, all good, which is at all good LV says that they hate our uneducated fans. Uh, every time a guy falls or gets hit, people think penalty. So that's, that's interesting. There is that dynamic, right? Of some people maybe who are newer to the sport. Uh, NS Bronze Knights, which is at Vegas Waterboy 53. Things I hate, 11 p.m. start times. And I actually discussed this with uh, with this listener or, or ex-user. This person is based on the East Coast. So for East Coasters in the U.S., uh, it's tough if you're a fan of a, of a Pacific Division team or a West Coast team because of the three-hour <laughs> time difference. So he's, Yeah, tell me know, about if, it. If you got a job and you got to work in the morning, I get that. Uh, 11 p.m. is rough. So... Uh, David Rosenthal at DROZ1984 says, what I hate is constantly hearing about how Vegas quote unquote bought their cup or the quote unquote draft was rigged or quote unquote, the fans are all bandwagon jumpers. He says, I've been a fan since the day the team was announced as entering the NHL. No bandwagon, no expectations, just faith that they'd be great. So that's I'm a very, want to, sorry, JP. If you want to jump in on this one, right? Because I'll, yeah. I will wait for the rest, but I, I can't on this one. So it's a really good point that's been raised. We've talked about it before. All I'm going to say on it is, you know, we mentioned before. I think we were talking about it before we actually came on air about it used to be that success was celebrated, whereas now success 
generally within society these days is 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 I'm going to use the term hated, but again loosely. But it's mm-hmm. not celebrated like it used to be, in my personal opinion. The one right. thing I would say about the Vegas hatred, though, is I would wear it like a badge of honor because anybody tells you that you're a, a bandwagon person because you joined Vegas when the team freaking started, well, they're, they're, they need educated because you can't yeah. support a team before it exists. So it is what <laughs> right. it is, right? And yeah. people would say, well, they should have supported a different hockey team. Well, yeah, maybe they did. But a local team is always going to trump a team you might support. So right. that doesn't count anyway. It doesn't make you a bandwagon jumper in the slightest. And also, as we've, we've heard from the comments, some people didn't watch hockey. That was the whole freaking point, right? That's yeah. why you expand to, to grow to the, the game. places to grow <laughs> yeah. the game. So you then exactly. don't crap on the fans that didn't watch hockey before because that's kind of why we're doing it. So right. I, and, and, the, and the fan bases that think that Vegas bought a cup, was the draft lottery fairer than it was for Columbus and other teams? Yes. It was more beneficial. Is that Vegas's fault? No. Is that right. have, have Seattle had the same benefit? Yes. Well, other expansion yeah. teams have the same benefit. Yes. Did that mean they bought the cup? No, they did not. No, they did not buy they, anything. They earned the cup uh, through very clever drafting, through taking advantage of a situation that Seattle didn't take advantage of because the teams had, had, had wised up to what Vegas did. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and and I just I said. Any fan base that's all kind of sour about us kind of stuff, I would wear that like a badge of, of, of honor and think, you know what? If you if the day you stop hating me is the day that we suck. So like keep hating me, because that means the right. teams do well. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, so, that's exactly go. right. You if if there's that much hate, it means you're it means you're doing something right for sure. There's no doubt about that. Um and uh yeah, the uh the the Building a, a championship caliber team is incredibly difficult, r- regardless oh, so of difficult. the draft or regardless of any uh, slightly more favorable rules that may have happened. Winning a Stanley Cup is incredibly hard to do, and so yeah, I've always yep. thought that gifted a cup winning team is just that's just silliness. So completely agree with uh, with David there. Um, so going on to the rest of these comments. Um, Offseason champ, which is at Raider Nation 702, said, I hate that we probably can't win the cup every year. I hate <laughs> that, like most things here, attending games can be pricey. So that's a couple people who have mentioned the, the costs. <laughs> Mr. MC at MMACNV, cost of everything when attending games. And then some fans be cray cray, he said. <laughs> yes, very true. Um, Ella, which is at Ella XOXO 101. I hate the arguing and emotional mess some Knights fans can be. I'm not talking about just being sad when we lose. Some can't, can't handle it and take it too far. I try my best to calm them down. Ella, I think that's all fan bases, but I hear what you're saying. It sucks when it's within your own fan base for sure. Uh, Kim, which is at Kimber Caper. I used to hate trades, but I'm used to them now. I really hate the gatekeepers, but most of all, I hate the oily people. (laughs) Uh, Yes, Kim, I'm with you. I'm not a big fan of the Edmonton Oilers, uh, and the rivalry is real after last year's playoffs for sure. Sniggs, which is at LVMom325. What she hates most is the cost of tickets and the never-ending whining from other teams' fans about the expansion draft, cap space, or whatever their trigger du jour is. Yes, very true. That's what we were just talking about. David Heinrich, which is at Way Cool Jr. 
I hate other teams' fans making excuses for us starting and remaining such a hot team. I hate home shutouts, but we'll always root for our Golden Knights. Once again, that's talking about the other fans around the league and their criticisms. And yes, home shutouts, it's not fun to get shut out in your own barn, that's for sure. Cass, at Cassie Loves 1013 says, I also hate the divide of fans over certain players and also the autograph hounds that show up at City National Arena daily trying to get everything signed. I hear you. We have open practices for Golden Knights often, and yeah, there's a lot of that there. Nicholas Haley, at Nicola3585604. Hate most the realities of sports, trading popular players, the cost of tickets, etc., and then the last one is actually there's two more. So Summerlin Platinum Knights, which is at Hobby XX Exchange. What he likes uh, or what he says is the worst is the look at me selfie crowd. In parentheses, he says more seen in the pricey seats. Yes, sir. Uh, selfies are here to stay, and it is annoying at times, no doubt about that. The last one is VGK non GM at VGK Dog. I hate the divide fans have over goalies and other players. Stop complaining. And then in quotes, it says, oh, we should have kept this player. I hate this new player. Or I hate this goalie. They should trade him. And then uh, they, they typed SMFH, which is shaking my effing head, I believe. So, um, yeah, some common threads there, Ian. I, um, the, the first one and the biggest one is that people hate the ostracism from other fan bases, right? Gatekeeping, elitism. And that's a little bit of the kind of the negative connotation of tribalism that we discussed earlier. But uh, speak on that a little bit in terms of, we kind of covered that a little bit when we, when we paused earlier to discuss yeah. that particular comment. But um, yeah, it, people don't like to see other groups doing well. They want to see their group do well, right? I mean, that's human. it's human nature. But when it comes to social media, it's unchecked. Right, everybody has a megaphone now, and so the negative people tend to be the loudest. They tend to be the ones that say the most and and that we hear the most, and so that leads us to believe that that's kind of how everybody feels. But I mean, isn't social media has has been a negative thing in that regard in, in terms of sports fandom? Don't you think? A hundred percent. And um, <clears throat> apologies, JP, because I, I got cut off for a minute. I'm, I'm obviously That's back okay. now. By the, I no worries. I just kept reading. All good, buddy. So you did. You did. Well done, man. Well done. And, uh, <laughs> and for those that don't know that the UK is a third world country, obviously it is. Because <laughs> uh, so, we have no phone signal, just randomly. It's a spot on the motorway. There's this random black spot where everything went. But anyway, I'm back now. Um, and uh, so it, social media is... you're right everybody has a megaphone everybody has a voice and people would say but is that freedom of speech everyone should have a voice yeah yeah, yeah. i get i get all that but and and, and anyone that knows me on social media knows i'm an absolute advocate for free speech um i don't think we actually have free speech in 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 certain countries uh, anymore um not like we should do anyway um because there's certain protected topics that mean that we 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 don't debate them we don't talk about them and and i think that's i think that's a, a bad state for any democracy to be in but from a sports perspective what that megaphone does is it creates this kind of perception that everybody kind of agrees or that, that is you know that a hundred people can sound like a million people a thousand people can sound like an entire civilization it's the kind of feeling you get with social media um and we saw that in terms of the whole edmonton vegas thing like, there's a lot of rivalry on social media but like 
Was the general Edmonton and Vegas fan base that bothered about each other? Nah, probably not really. You know, so like it's the silent majority is, is a term that I hear used a lot at the moment. And I think that's a great way of summing up social media, which is that we don't listen to the silent majority because they tend not to be on it. I think last mm-hmm. time I saw stats, like of Twitter at the time, now X, what, oh, the users represented, I think, 10% of the Western world in terms of people that are actually on the platform. Yeah, right. that's not even of the world. So mm-hmm. it's very easy to kind of see this, you know, some comments and, and, and think that it's everybody is saying one thing or everybody agrees with this. And, and we see that on some of the really, really politicized topics, which we're not going to talk about because we're talking about sport. But some of the politicized topics, we see that you'll hear people say, well, everybody agrees with that. And you're like, well, not everybody agrees with it. You mean the 25 people that like your post agree with it, but like, it's not, <laughs> right, not everybody, right? right? Because yeah. not everybody's on Twitter and everybody gives a crap about whatever it is that you're chatting about. So I, I think this is the kind of negativity now of, of what's, of, and why I think social media is so dangerous because it is unchecked. It is unregulated. Um, it is in our children's hands, pockets, faces, um and for all the great community stuff we were talking about and that is the wonder of this sort of stuff you know it's a bit like when facebook was first created the aim was you were supposed to stay in touch with people that you would otherwise lose contact with and on a in a country like the us like that's hard in the uk but imagine how hard that is when you're going to colleges and you know in schools and stuff that could be hundreds and hundreds of miles away from each other so mm-hmm. the benefit of it was you were supposed to stay in touch with those people that you would have otherwise lost contact with so there you go real big positive community-based get that but then the actual outcome of what happens from 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 facebook is that it becomes this corporate machine driven by revenues and advertising and then it gets politicized and then it becomes a weapon for people to use in elections and and then the whole real premise of what it was supposed to be, you just totally lose. And and it, in a, the reason I'm mentioning this, by the way, it's in a sport scenario. That kind of thing kind of happens, but on a smaller scale. So you get that tribalistic nature of where teams will hate each other because they don't like a certain fan base. And then they're like, and it, because on social media, you can say what you want. You know, and you're, you're anonymous, or at least the people that want to say what they want are anonymous because they're they set themselves up to do that so they'll say things that you would never say to somebody in a, in a, in a situ- social situation right. um and people when people post something people have feel this need to have to react mm-hmm. like no one can read a post and say i don't agree with what that guy just said i don't know keep scrolling like like that doesn't happen if someone reads something and they don't agree with what they said they're like and i'm gonna comment back to this person and tell right. him or her why they are completely <laughs> effing stupid and yeah. wrong in everything they believe because they believe x and i believe y and I, and i think that's one of the comments that you read out was about someone saying that they hate people that comment on players that are lost and players that i think i mean look so do i and i think that the whole thing around flurry was um was it a little bit nuts, uh, but I also can understand that sport is emotion, and therefore, when you get emotion behind things, people are going to want to comment, and they're within their right to comment. And if you don't like it, scroll past. Right. <laughs> Just get eh, don't care. Yeah. Keep scrolling. Yeah. So I think there, there is that that negativity that social media brings. Um, I think can be can be felt. Um, I think the other thing that it does 
um, and I'm going to bring this in now because we talked about it and I will no doubt forget if I don't say it now, um, which is around um, the, the impact for players. We've we talked a lot about fan bases today and that's because that's who we've been talking to and, and really appreciate all the comments that everybody's put in, by the way. Um, the, the feedback on this topic was fantastic. So thank you for that. Um, but for players, this is really, really hard. You know, you've got, um, you've got, take Conor Bedard is probably the easiest example to use, okay? Now, 20 odd years ago, when he came into the league, yes, people would have talked about it, but it wouldn't have been like a constant daily 24-hour news cycle. Whereas, like, it was getting to the point where the NHL, the NHL.com, by the way, was the worst for this. It was getting to a point where it was like Conor Bedard was just all they were talking about. Every game he was having was every pass was being analysed. And then on social media, and I kid you not, you had people two games into his NHL career writing yeah. the kid off, right? Like, yeah, yeah he's a bust. Yeah, he's a you're failure. Like, yeah, he's a bust, like, yeah. <laughs> he's played like 20 minutes, right? Okay, yeah, he's, he's touched the puck like a couple of hundred times maybe, whatever it might be. Like, but it, it, it was just really, you know, it's a borderline ridiculous. Um, but that's what, social media does because you've everybody has a voice and and those that was the squeaky wheel gets the oil or whatever the phrase is yeah and unfortunately mm-hmm. in social media there are plenty of really nice people i know because a lot of them listen to our show but the you know, the nice people tend to be quite quiet you know and then yeah. the people that want absolute anarchy in this world are the ones that are the keyboard warriors so yeah mm-hmm. i um yeah it's, yeah, it's tough I, for players as well, man, with this system. Yeah, well, it's why a lot of them, a lot of them, just vow to stay off social media altogether. And and I can comment on that as a former performer. I used to, ha- I had a stage career for many years, and I learned very quickly just not to read reviews, or at the very least, not to read reviews until after my production was over. Because uh, yeah. it, it it's hard. It's hard to be publicly criticized, no matter how how you slice it, no matter how much you try to let it roll off it's not fun and it gets in your head and it can affect your performance so it's uh yeah, yeah i i don't envy pro pro athletes it would be a, a difficult it would be a difficult thing to navigate for sure and you and i talked about this i like in social media to like being at a party where everybody's got a little screen on their forehead and every thought that they have is just broadcast on that screen it's like social mm-hmm. media has no filter and everybody just vomits whatever they're thinking in any given moment without any thought to who it might affect and without having to pay any direct or immediate consequences for what they say. And so that sort of lack of a filter uh, makes social media an, an even more exaggerated version of, of humanity, which can kind of uh, lead us to believe things are worse than they are. And, uh, mm-hmm. and that is definitely exaggerated when it comes to sports fandom. But and then the last theme, and then, then we'll move on to our, our last segment here, but the last thread that seems common is just complaining about kind of the prices. People are upset about the prices, and I get that. Pro sports is a business, and of course, it's profit-driven, and Vegas is already very expensive. Like anything in or around the Vegas Strip is going to be really, really pricey. You know, we're talking $15, $20 beers. Like everything costs a fortune because it's a tourism city, and they can charge it. So when you combine that, the fact that T-Mobile Arena is right on the Vegas Strip with a winning team and a winning culture, unfortunately, the reality is that equals inflated prices and 
charging what the market will bear. I do think the Knights kind of maxed out what they could afford to charge because their season ticket subscriptions, while still completely sold out, have dropped off. You can get season tickets, like season tickets get released every year now. There was a long time where there was a huge waiting list and you just weren't going to get them if you wanted them. Now, every year, there are new season ticket subscriptions available. And that tells me they've kind of maxed out what they can afford to charge for them now. So, so fortunately, while the prices will go up with inflation, maybe that initial surge of price explosions will, you know, will settle down a little bit now. But um, so moving on, uh, just so in the interest of time, the, the last submissions that we asked for were observations about human psychology or about human nature. And this is the smallest section. There were, there were nowhere near as many of these, but they're very interesting. So we'll read them real quickly and then discuss before we wrap up. So once again, Steve McSevenelli or Steve McNelly, which is at Steve M comedy. His observation was that most fun, most people are fun to chirp with and enjoy the release of a sporting event while others really are insane and take it too personal when their teams lose. Very true. And, and we kind of did a deep dive on that already in this episode, didn't didn't we? We've already kind of been discussing that, uh, but so true. NS Bronze Knights, which is at Vegas Waterboy 53, says, things I observe as a sports fan. People are very tribal uh, with sports, and it brings people back to their caveman energy. And that's a really good point that I, that I want to bring up here when we kind of recap this. The caveman energy. It's sort of the caveman brain, right? Your old instincts kicking in. Um, Ella. Ella XOXO 101 says it takes a lot to be a sports fan for a team. You love a lot. You're going to see people go lose, win, etc. We just have to stick together because we are a family. So that taps into that community aspect again. Snigs, which is at LV mom 325 says sporting events can bring out the best in people or the worst in people, both in person and online. I do like the block option online and I use it quite often. Very true. I'm too old to deal with some people. Yeah, I hear you there. Uh, block is a good feature to have, and uh, I, I use it as well <laughs> on extreme occasions. Cass, who is at Cassie Loves 1013 says, as for human psychology, we adopt teams as a way to identify a place of belonging to. Teams give us something to root, cry, get mad over, which I think is cool. And then the last one is Nicholas Haley, which is at Nicola 358-560-104, says... Sports has a special role in large communities. Sharing an interest in a sport creates a common language and culture between people. Good submissions. And, and once again, before yeah, we that. wrap up with this last recap here, thank you guys all so much for your submissions. And this is great stuff and, and really interesting to hear people's thoughts on this stuff. But yeah, be, because there is so much emotion involved, uh, it really does bring out the best and worst in people's personalities. Um, there are real pros and cons to the whole them and us, right? That's what happens in sports. It's sort of a, it can be a separator, right? It can, it can be a way for people to say, well, there's us and then there's them over there. And so sometimes that can put a little bit of, of a divide between communities or, or groups of people, but particularly going back to the caveman brain, which I think is really interesting. You and I were talking about this when we were prepping for this episode, Ian, is that the caveman brain, we're still dealing with the same firmware that our brains had thousands of years ago. That hasn't been upgraded, even though society has changed a lot and become much safer. And there's a saying that I heard once that's maybe Ukrainian or Russian uh, that, that basically goes, there is no tiger. 
So thousands of years ago, we needed that threat response and that that idea of them and us to protect ourselves, to stay alive, right? And if there was some tiger chasing us, we needed that fight or flight response to stay alive. Well, now life is much safer. There are not constant threats all the time, particularly in the Western world. So we almost, humans almost have to find, it's like we have to generate those threats because our firmware is so used to, to functioning that way. It's almost like we have to create threats when there are none. And that's where that saying, there is no tiger comes from. And that's something you definitely see play itself out in sports fandom, right? And and sports are like war games, right? It's like humans playing out that tribal warfare and almost creating a threat when when there isn't one, right? That's kind of what goes on. Yeah, 100%. And um, one of the the other thing that goes back to that kind of, that is, it was caveman brain, I'm not so sure, but it's certainly part of our kind of psyche. And I'm not, I'm not a psychologist, so this is just my opinion as a numpty. But the um, but the, the comment that was used about wanting to be part of something, there is an innate human nature and a want of belonging, so belonging to something. And that, that's unfortunately a good and bad thing. And we see that play out on social media across a whole host of different topics where it does create that us and them because everything now in, in, in life has become about what team are you on, whether it's sports or, or politics or, you know, beliefs or whatever, like it's, everything is you're either in this team or you're in this team or you're on that side, or you're on that side. And that is driven by that, partly by that human nature to want to be part of something, part of a group, um, which isn't always negative by the way. I know it sounds like I'm painting it like that, but it, it isn't. Um, but it, it is unfortunately that the, the negativity of that is that it creates that, that us and them, which we, which we see with, with sports. Um, the, the whole, like the enemy, the tiger thing, as you mentioned, JP, I think that's really good, but I think it's right. I mean, again, I, I'm talking in the UK here. So if there's any listeners that are in the UK, you'll know what I'm talking about, but everything in the UK right now is a crisis. Everything is a, it's like literally there can't be a news article put out without the word crisis. Because there feels like this need to constantly make everything really, really serious. And, and partly I think that's because of that whole we don't have an enemy right now, as in like there isn't an existential threat to us um, that we know about. Anyway, so maybe there isn't being hidden from us, but we certainly don't know about it. Um, and, and so therefore we don't really have anything to rally behind. So we find other causes as humanity to rally behind because that gives us that kind of purpose and, and being. The other part is that what social media also creates is, is this, this constant grab for people's attention. Clickbait is the term that's used a lot. but And you see that with sports. Mm-hmm. So sports will purposely, or, or writers and journalists will purposely make an article seem more serious than it is because they want you to click. They want right. you to read. So they'll, they'll, you know, if Vegas got a three-game loser streak, then, you know, some of the press aren't going to talk. And the wheels come off, you know, like they're going to talk about things that are obviously over-dramatized because they want you to to, to engage. Yeah. So um, it's it's an unfortunate consequence of of the product itself. Like there is no, I think the block button comment, like I love that. That's pretty much what I was saying before, <laughs> which is that I think you could spend your entire day trying to like, you know, argue with people justifiably sometimes whether yeah. they're right or wrong but you know like most people 
they're going to have their beliefs and they're probably going to listen to you anyway. So you're better off right. if you don't, if you're really offended by what they're saying, yeah, just mm-hmm. block it and move on. Yeah. So. Yeah, hundred percent. And and without going too deep into this, I'm a big fan of Stoic philosophy. And one of the kind of common Stoic beliefs, or or a mantra in a way, is is sort of saying, "I don't have to have an opinion about that. I don't have to engage with that." And that's yeah. something we forget sometimes as humans. You do not have to engage with something, even if you don't agree with it. You you re, or you don't even have to have an opinion. We we tend to feel like we have to be on one side or the other, and that is very human. Thousands and thousands of years ago, you needed to be you needed the approval of the group in order to survive, right? When we were hunter gatherers living on the plains and such, you couldn't live on your own. It, it it decreased your chances of survival tremendously. So we sort of it's built into us to want to the approval of the group and to want to belong to a group. But we also have an elevated human brain and. I think it's healthy if you can sort of try to step back from that and realize that that's what's happening. You're also smart enough to be able to observe it and to realize that that's what's going on. But, you know, a a lot of the things that people have observed uh, in the the submissions that our listeners and and our ex-friends sent to us seem to tap into that a little bit in different ways, different ways of kind of saying that and expressing their frustrations. But uh, it's a a fascinating topic and I'm, I'm sure we could, continue to talk about it for hours and hours more. But this is one of our longer episodes that we've recorded because it's a very deep topic, but it's been fun. This has been a really fun deep dive into this stuff. And we're very grateful to all of our our listeners and supporters and subscribers and our friends on social media for taking some time to to share their thoughts on this. It's it's really cool. And in some ways, this brings us together to our common feelings about these issues. And uh, we didn't spend a lot of time talking about the Golden Knights specifically, but these are universal concepts that apply to all fans of sports. And and it's been fun to kind of learn a little bit about some of our our friends online and and some of our listeners and, and their feelings on these matters. But Ian, you're mm-hmm. a trooper to, to hang in there with us on your commute. And I'm sure you're, you're getting close to your destination here, but what a blast. And this is something a little different from, for us. I hope for our listeners and our friends that did listen, if you enjoyed this, if you liked a deep dive into this kind of topic, we're happy to do more of it. Uh, it's, it's something a little different, but it's kind of fun and it's kind of different from your average hockey podcast. It's just something that you don't you don't hear a lot of this kind of thing, I feel like. So if this is something you've enjoyed or you would like to hear more of that, please reach out to us. Leave us a message on Twitter slash X or use our website, the mailbag feature on our website, which is goldandsteel.vegas. We would love to hear from you or leave it in the YouTube comments. But thanks again, Ian. Buddy, It's it's been great as always. I always enjoy these these conversations with you. And for the rest of our listeners... We'll be back with you in a couple of weeks' time unless there is significant Golden Knights news, in which case we'll release a special episode to cover that. So thanks, folks, for everything. It's been fun. Yeah, cheers, enjoy, good. Yep, cheers, and enjoy uh, Golden Knights games coming up. In fact, I'm going to be at the Calgary Flames game tomorrow at home. Haven't been to a Knights game this season, so looking forward to that. Hopefully they continue the winning streak. And uh, take care, everybody. Stay safe. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.